The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 21. What core skills do you need to be a sports writer? another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to interview a special guest who is a sports professional in a specific field of the sports industry. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, today's special guest is David Goldblatt. David is a broadcaster for the BBC, a writer for The Guardian, also, he is an author himself, where in 2015, his book, The Game of Our Lives, The Meaning and Making of English Football, won the William Hill Sports Book of the Year. To have David on the show is a real privilege. That's why in today's show, David will share his career journey and provide you the core skills you need to be a writer in the sports industry. David, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to the listeners? When did it all start? Um, it started, I suppose, sometime in the mid to late 1990s when I was a lecturer in politics at the Open University. And um, I was uh, at the Open University in part because of its kind of mass democratic education mission. And so I'm looking at the um, at who's actually coming to the Department of Social Sciences and 75% of our undergraduates at the time were women. Um, and of the quarter that were men, maybe only one quarter of those were from a working class background. Uh, and I said, OK, so why aren't these people coming to us? You know, um, we should certainly be servicing that constituency. What are they interested in? Football. So... I started reading a little bit of stuff and like we're talking 96. So the volume of really interesting football writing was much smaller, which I suppose was a good thing. Um, and I read Simon Cooper and I read, um, obviously I've read Nick Hornby already. Um, and I dabbled with some of the very early academic literature and I thought, hmm, there's definitely an economics of football. There's a geography of football. There's politics of football. Mm, why don't we do a taster course, advertise it on the back page of the sun, football and society, you like it for six weeks, come and do the whole degree. So I went to the, um, the powers that be in the department and thankfully um, they looked down their nose at me um, and thought it was a ridiculous idea and I was dismissed, uh, for which I give praise and thanks. So anyway, I go away, and I've now got this thought in my head, and um, I spent an evening with my landlord of the era, and we were li I was living in uh, sublet social housing in uh, the arse end of Maida Vale, um, where Maida Vale joins the Harrow Road, and it gets scuzzy uh, in London. And um, it's also a place where a lot of 
punk happened in the 1970s, which was my youth and his youth. And indeed, the Clash had lived in a squat round the corner from this flat. So we're talking about this late into the night and we're thinking, well, wouldn't it be interesting to make a punk map of London and put all these things on the map that we know about? So I go to bed and the next morning the light bulb actually does go off above my head because I go punk map of London, sociology of football, map of football, atlas of football. And I then start, basically get my kids coloured pencils and I started drawing obsessively maps, diagrams, bar charts, pie charts, flow charts, migration maps and city maps of football. And to cut a long story short, four months later, I, um, I sold the idea to Dorling Kindersley, the uh, illustrated publishers. And in 2002, we published the first edition of the World Football Yearbook, which was a 750-page infographic encyclopedia of global football with a sociological twist. Um, and that was my break, basically. And I did it, you know, uh, in secret. I didn't tell the Open University because I had the hump. Um, and um, that was um, that's the point at which I called the dean uh, and with, um, you know, the rare pleasure of saying, I quit, I'm out of here, sayonara baby and uh and i'm not working my notice either that sounds really interesting david and really fascinating just quickly relating back to when you just started how has it grown now after you've done that well you know so i published that and i got three years worth and that was my kind of that allowed me to go freelance and really and become you know begin that journey um and we published it in about nine languages I mean, we were just um, early enough that the um, that the sort of enormous quantity of stuff available on the internet meant that you could still sell enough copies to make it kind of worthwhile, and it was a nice object. But, you know, obviously I'd quit my job at this point, and then you go, oh, what am I going to do? So um, as an academic, um, and this is sort of an advice to all potential writers, is about putting the unexpected together is, you know, I'd been doing, um, studying globalization, you know, for the previous decade and global history. And I went, oh, Atlas of Football, globalization, global history, global history of football. And thus the ball is round was sort of born conceptually. And um, I was lucky enough to sell it to Penguin um, for enough money to basically give me three years. Um, and then I wrote The Ball is Round um which was published in 2006 and that's really kind of you know i i ain't retiring on the uh on the money from the ballers round believe me but what it was was the most extraordinary calling card and it did take one of my old academic friends um uh looked at it and said you know you're gonna have to wait a few years for the world to come back to you on this one right and that's um, that's important. It's like investment in yourself as well as writing something. And it did take, you know, it got really well reviewed. But uh, in terms of turning that into other work and going on to the next stage, it took a few years for the world to actually kind of read it. But it's my word. It's been terribly helpful. I also spent quite a long period not knowing quite what to do after the ball is round as well. I mean, when you spend three years writing half a million words, um, 
after the initial kind of uh, high of finishing and publishing, uh, I basically spent about six months being really depressed and really burnt out. Um, and that's something for all potential writers to think about as well as like looking after your own mental and physical health while you're doing this stuff. Um, and then since, you know, um, I sort of got myself back on my feet and um, I've been lucky enough to sort of go in three directions since. So I've got a journalistic kind of side which is, you know, both writing a lot of long-form stuff, but also a lot of radio journalism with the BBC in particular. Um, and then, you know, the books are carried on, um, and I've written um, oh, four since then, um, which, again, you know, you're never going to retire. Anyone who's thinking they're about to live on books, think again. Um and then um, uh, an academic side as well is, you know, I mean, when I've needed to pay the bills, I've just taught sometimes in Britain. Um, but I've been lucky enough to be a visiting professor in the US uh, every other year for the last few years, which I think will continue. And sort of like, I think it's taken me, yeah, sort of 10, 12 years of freelance life to find the balance that works intellectually, personally, financially, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, fingers crossed, I'm just about there. That sounds really fascinating. Just relating to being a sport academic, there's a lot of listeners out there who are probably just graduated from their universities. Could you explain to these students how their degree can be applied back into the industry relating to your career? Well, I think, I mean, certainly for my career, you know, my little niche in the world of sports writing is um, I sort of span the boundary of, you know, long-form journalism and, uh, and so on with sort of more serious academic work. Um, and I think, you know, in the past, you know, that would have been seen as a negative, but I think we have a changing sports reading public and publishing industry um, where, you know, academic uh, an academic background in terms of your the depth of your knowledge and the sort of sophistication of your ability to put things in an interesting cultural, political, economic context um, gives you an edge, gives you something interesting to say. So I think, you know, um, I think that is really useful to have there and to nurture and to continue to nurture. Um, and, you know, one of the things, you know, you're meant to learn doing a sports degree is how to be a sort of self-starting in your study. And I think, don't forget that. I mean, you know, the degree is actually only the beginning of the process. I consider myself an eternal student on all of these matters. And I'm perpetually concerned that I'm letting my stock of kind of intellectual capital run down. Um, and I think it's really, don't stop reading books and don't stop the academic stuff. It may not be your everyday bread and butter, but, you know, um, it's fabulously useful and important. I think you're absolutely right. Even through my journey, I'm always learning new things and it's important to keep up with the trends as well. Just relating to today's main topic, what core skills do you need to be a sports writer? Ooh, um, I'm not sure there is actually any one set of core skills because there are so many different kinds of sports writing. You know, I mean, somebody has to write, you know, the stuff that goes on the Aston at the bottom of Sky Sports News you know, and Don DeLillo writes, you know, extraordinary postmodern complex novels, you know, in which sport is uh, 
is a central theme. So, and it's pretty much everything in between. So I slightly wonder whether there is, um, whether there is a core set of skills that covers everything. I mean, I think that, you know, as with all writing, if you're not a reader in the first place, there's a problem. So I think all good writers, including sport writers, are also voracious readers. Um, and I think that's what keeps you fresh. And I think the ability to constantly keep it fresh or to bring a different angle linguistically, intellectually to the task is incredibly important because so much of the world of sports writing is pretty formulaic. Uh, as you know, you know, uh, and that's not to detract from the sort of, say, skills involved in doing football match reporting, you know, which I actually, I don't think could do to save my life, um, where you've, you know, you know what it's like, you've got to do it on the whistle and then you've got to run down to the mix zone and be elbowed and ignored, um, you know, by millionaire 19-year-olds and extract a quote and go back and rewrite it and like, wow, you know, hats off to the people who can do that. Um, I don't think, I don't think I could. But it is very formulaic. And I think the real task, you know, for budding sports writers out there is to think about where's my niche? What's my journey? How am I? Because there are so many people who want to write. There's so much being written for free, as you know, in the world of blogs and so on and so forth. So to actually begin to piece together a bit of a living, I think, you know, flexibility, you know, a lot of folks, I mean, in my experience, you know, are very kind of monomaniacal about football. Um, our sports culture is increasingly monocultural. There's a lot of, obviously, you know, it appears that much of the work is there. I would really encourage um, prospective sports writers to be absolutely flex as flexible to begin with about what sports you cover what kind of sports, you know, and for whom are you writing? I mean, we all want to write, you know, everybody wants to get their byline in The Guardian or The Times or indeed The Sun. But, you know, I think one's got to be really smart and think about who are all the other punters who might be interested. Um, you know, commercial, voluntary sector, sports organisations themselves. There's a lot of stuff out there. And, you know, a lot of it's really bad. Like, I read occasionally... Um, Oh, I don't know, like, you know, British Fencing's monthly magazine. I mean, it could really do with some help. It could really be pepped up with some good writing, you know, and there's a lot of potential out there if you can go out and find the niche. So I say super flexibility is the thing. Look beyond football, look beyond kind of top-level professional sport um, and be as flexible with forms as you can. On the other hand... You know, you also need to have some sort of specialisms over time. Um, but, you know, it will take one's time, you know, to find those. Uh, you know, I'm the global history guy. You know, if you want to know how kind of like why West Brom are letting in so many goals, I'm really not the man to ask, you know. But if you want the global history question, then I'm the dude to come to. So you've got to kind of find your place. I think you've just highlighted a really key point of finding your niche in what people want to do in their careers. Just relating back to your day-to-day -day job, what have you been up to recently? Well, um, I've been plugging um, my new book, The Games, A Global History of the Olympics, like crazy. I published it in um, 
sort of early July, so about a month before the um, the Rio Games. Yeah, I have been sort of surgically attached to Skype and the telephone for about a month um, doing radio. So I say over the last kind of month, um, you know, leading up to the games and the games itself, I probably wrote about 10 pieces for different outlets uh, of different kinds, you know, sort of like uh, 10 uh, most interesting and unknown Olympic books for the Daily Beast. Uh, a column on the history of Olymp- anti-Olympic movements for time, a big think piece for The Guardian, putting the Rio Games in historical context. So I did that, and then I probably did about 50 radio shows, mainly you know, a mixture of a few in the studio, a lot on Skype. Oh, yeah, invest in microphones. That's my... Uh, <laughs> there's a thought. Have a really good microphone. Um, and a bit of television. Um, well, um, you know, CNN, the BBC, uh, a lot of NPR. Um, I mean, it's been amazing to see how incredibly important the Olympics are in the United States and just like the level of coverage you can get there. And that's worth sort of mentioning, you know, think about your language skills and, you know, where you can go. I mean, I'm increasingly writing for or getting coverage in Anglophone countries, India, Malaysia, New Zealand, um, uh, Ireland is a really rich source, um, not necessarily of terribly paid work, but lots of really interesting coverage and, and definitely a sports reading public. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, so that's been the last sort of month or so. Um, I finally, the game's now done. And I've, in fact, packed away all the notes from my book and everything. And um, I'm having one of those sort of really lovely moments of a bit of a sort of clean slate and a sort of moment's pause before the next thing. On a personal note, David, what do you enjoy the most from your work, reflecting back from your whole career so far? Um, I love writing the books in the end. I mean, all the other stuff has been great and the travel's been great and the people's been great and the sport's been great. But, um, you know, I'm made of books. That's uh, like in the end, if you sort of cut me down the middle, you will find a kind of library inside. And um, yeah, writing writing books and um, I mean, winning the William Hill Sports Book of the Year Award for Game of Our Lives is a really, really unbelievable, amazing moment. Um, I mean, you know, I felt like, yeah, you know, recognition. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, and I think this is really important for everyone to remember. You know, when you're a writer, you spend a lot of time feeling very unacknowledged and looking at four walls and getting more no's than yeses. And um, and that goes for everyone. You know, I think that goes for anyone who's a writer. However successful you've been, you continue. I certainly do. Um, and some of that was sort of put to rest, um, and it's given me a kind of serenity and confidence that my peers um, in the writing world, in the sports world, have said, yeah, you're all right, Goldblatt, Um, and that really counts. Yeah, that's brought me a lot of kind of, I have to say, it's brought me a lot of inner peace, Um, but that was hard, you know, so that was probably, yeah, I think that probably is the high. And the pleasure, I mean, in the end, the pleasure was above all. I knew it was a good book. I thought it was a better book. 
I thought it was the best book I have written. I mean, the ball is round, it's kind of longer and more magisterial and occupies a kind of biblical place in the scheme of things. But for sheer, you know, pound for pound, as they say in boxing, sentence for sentence, you know, as a writer, the quality of the prose for me in uh, the game of our lives is like just different gravy. And I felt that that above all, like people got into that and that's, there's no bigger buzz for me than that, you know, because I write partly to find out what I think, but I absolutely write because I want to be read um, and because I want people to engage. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was a high point and a joy. David, that is a fantastic achievement. It's great to hear your self-pride as well. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to university sports students who want to pursue a career as a sports writer? Well, I mean, my sort of glib proverb is um, follow your heart, but don't forget about your wallet. Um, and the balance there is the challenge. You know, you got to, we all do work and we all work for folks and we all end up writing stuff that we don't really like um, and we're annoyed um of the strictures um but you've got to do it sometimes because we've all got to eat and because we try and preserve the space in which our creativity and what we really want to do can flourish um and it's a really hard kind of moral practical and economic balancing act um but that's the trick that's one of the tricks um and i would say yeah that's um that and just sort of don't stop reading don't stop reading you know keep the uh, keep the intellectual and read great writers you know because that's what in the end i think makes me want to write is all the other people who are just like oh yeah no got to get back to the page so you know read as much as you can um do the uh, do the dog work that you've got to do and don't worry about it too much preserve the space for the stuff that you really want to do. David, that's great. And hope the listeners take that bit of advice on board. Lastly, David, how can people interact with you? Uh, semaphore, Morse code, smoke signals, Twitter, at David S. Goldblatt, Facebook, David Goldblatt. Um, those are probably the best ways. You know, my website is out there uh, as well. And, you know... Um, if you've got really serious and long questions, once you've got hold of me, you know, that way we can always proceed to, um, to email. Oh, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm kind of, you know, I sort of slightly always feel like an interloper on LinkedIn, like it's Facebook for grown-ups. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing there, but I welcome all of those, you know, be in touch. Fantastic. To all the listeners out there to connect with David, all of his links will be on my website relating to this blog post. David, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me, dude. Wow. What a really enjoyable, exciting, entertaining, but most importantly, inspiring career journey by David. And I really do hope that if this is something you want to do as a career, being a sports writer, you do take David's points on board. Because what I learned the most from this interview, the most that David gives you everything in a nutshell he gives you the the reality the more i investigate different jobs in the sports industry and different career paths sometimes we think of it as a pipe dream 
But during this interview, David, as I said, just whacks everything in a nutshell. And if this is something you want to do as a career, please take David's advice and story on board. And good luck. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. David said, follow your heart and don't forget your wallet. The balance there is the challenge. 